I greet each of you this morning in the name of Jesus. It is good to be with you to worship this morning. It is especially special to have some family here with us this morning as well. This morning I want to bring a message from a book of the Bible that many people seem to be afraid of. That is the book of Revelation. I just finished reading through Revelations once again. And as I read through this book, it typically does several things for me. Number one, it it raises a lot of questions in my mind. What do all the trumpets and seals and bowls and plagues and and all this stuff represent? I don't know. Maybe maybe you think you do. I don't. Um, Who are the two witnesses? Uh, what, what has already been fulfilled and what is yet to be fulfilled? Uh, and again, I don't, I don't know the answers to all these questions. But the other thing that reading Revelations does to me is it inspires me because of all that is there that I can understand. And I would encourage you, I, I think too often we go to Revelation and, and we get overwhelmed with everything we can't understand. But sometimes read it and just as you read it, ask yourself, What is here that I can understand? And let those things inspire you. Here's a few things that that I see as I read Revelation. Number one, the mercy of God is all throughout Revelation. The righteous judgment of God is clearly seen in Revelation. And probably the most important thing that I see in Revelation is the all-surpassing power and sufficiency of the Lamb. The lamb that was slain. And we see that all throughout this book. Now, I don't know how much you pay attention to what is going on in our world today. I don't pay much attention. But it's no secret that we are living in perilous times. There's wars and rumors of wars. There's earthquakes. There's pestilence. There's all kinds of things going on around us. And many people are quick to rush to Revelation and and try to explain how all these things that we're facing today play out in biblical prophecy or tie into biblical prophecy. And the reality is, I don't think anyone knows for sure how they do. As I read through Revelation, I don't find anything about that I can say for certain is about the Russian-Ukraine war, or COVID-19, or hyperinflation, or the internet, or the list could go on. All these things we're facing, we're not quite sure how they tie in. But one thing that I do find as I read Revelation is that in spite of our circumstances, the true believer is secure in Christ. No matter what is going on around us, God's people will be overcomers as they are faithful to Him. We are secure. And so the purpose of the message this morning is twofold. Number one, it's to encourage the saints that in spite of our circumstances, in spite of our disappointments, in spite of our discouragements, in spite of everything we're facing, we win. We are on the winning side. We are a part of a kingdom that will never fail. And the second purpose of the message is then to invite the sinner. If there's anyone here who is not secure in Christ, this message is an invitation that God wants you to join His side. The kingdom that wins. 
And in fact, he wants you to be a part of his family so much that he was willing to send his only son, to shed his blood, to give his life, so that you could, be, you could have a way to be on his side, the side that wins. So that's the purpose of the message this morning. And I want to look in this message at three recurring themes that I find throughout the book of Revelation. I already mentioned a few things we, we see in Revelation, but three recurring themes that I want to look at this morning are the salvation of the elect, the sanctification of the elect, and the security of the elect. And so I've entitled the message, Saved, Sanctified, and Secure. Now before I look at those three points, I want to talk just briefly about this idea of the elect. That is a phrase that we often tend to shy away from because of some of the erroneous teaching that goes along with this idea of the elect. But the reality is, there are at least 16 places in Scripture that speak of God's people as the elect. Isaiah speaks of the elect. Jesus speaks of the elect. Peter spoke of the elect. Paul spoke of the elect. And never are they addressing false teaching. It is always a positive thing that we are the elect of God. It's always a good thing. But if you look at Scripture as a whole, it's very clear to see that when Scripture talks about the elect, it is never some hand-picked group of people that God has chosen out from amongst everyone else to be his people. That's not what the elect is. Scripture is clear that God's desire is that all men be saved. Jesus died for all men. God so loved the world, not just the Israelites, not just the Mennonites or anyone else, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But God has also given mankind the capacity to choose, to accept or to reject. And so this morning when I refer to the elect, I'm not referring to a hand-picked group of people that God has chosen out from amongst everyone else, but rather I'm referring to all those who have made that choice to follow Christ, to accept the sacrifice of Christ on their behalf, and then in response to that decision are then living holy and righteous lives that are pleasing to God. So that's the elect that I'm talking about this morning. So the salvation of the elect. You can turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. I want to read verses four, no, verses 5 through 7. And in these verses, we have the first reference to the salvation of the elect. It's kind of jumping into a thought here, but Revelation 1, verse 5 says this, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him, speaking of Jesus, that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. 
it's very easy to read over verse 5 and not really allow it to sink in and 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 we we miss the the truth the the timeless truth that is contained in this verse but verse 5 is basically the gospel in a nutshell that he Jesus loved us not because of who we not because we were so great not because of what we had to offer him but he loved us while we were yet sinners and he died for us he washed us from our sins in his blood that is a tremendous truth that we see in verse 5 and this is the only way that we can be justified or we can be declared righteous before God because of what Jesus did for us we were lost we were separated from God we were without hope and yet Jesus not because of what he would get out of it not because he was required to but because he loved us he gave his life he shed his blood on our behalf and it's because of this incredible reality that we can be a part of the family of God we can be sons and daughters of God and I trust that this morning if that's where you're at you you rejoice in this reality that I am a child of God as we read on through Revelation and we could look at a lot of passages this morning I'm not going to focus on very many but there's there's different passages throughout revelation that speak to our speak of our redemption but the thing that is referred even more or referenced even more than our redemption is our redeemer the main character of revelation is jesus oftentimes what, what jesus is referred to to various things in revelation but probably the most common thing or the common way that Jesus is referenced is as a lamb a lamb that was slain the lamb that is worthy the lamb that was dead and yet lives again the lamb that is victorious and and that lamb is Jesus Jesus our redeemer Jesus who loved us and washed us from our sins with his own blood and so our salvation in Christ through Jesus, through his shed blood, is a foundational principle if we are going to be secure in Christ. That is where it begins. When we acknowledge our sinful condition before God, when we cry out to God in the name of Jesus, believing in him that he can save us from our sins, that is where our salvation begins. That is where the Christian race begins. That is where we make the choice to renounce the world and follow Christ. Follow in his steps. That is how we are secure in Christ. That is where our salvation begins. But that is not where it ends. That is not where our salvation ends. And so the next point then is the sanctification of the elect. There's a very prevalent teaching in our day that says that our salvation our initial experience with God, where we acknowledge our sin before God, that is where, that is a once and done experience. Once saved, always saved. Once I prayed that prayer, I'm good to go. But that's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that the Christian life is a journey. It is a battle. It is a race. The true Christian will be continually growing more and more like Christ. 
becoming more like him and less like the world. Now, this idea of sanctification, that's a, a big word with, with a, lot of, a lot that's wrapped up in it. But sanctification is a work of God, a work that God has done in our lives, but it's also a work that God is doing. It's an ongoing thing. The definition is to be made holy or to be set apart. And, and that's something that, that does happen at our conversion, but it doesn't end at our conversion. We are continuing to be made holy, continuing to be set apart as we go through our life. God uses our circumstances. God uses our difficulties. God uses the trials in our life to draw us closer to him, to make us more and more what he wants us to be. And as I read through Revelation, this is another thing that I see recurring throughout this book. That God's people endured. God's people persevered. They overcame. They made choices. They made decisions. The way they reacted to what was going on around them, the, the relationships that they valued, their passions, their pursuits, everything about them was continuing to draw them closer to God. Continuing to make them more and more what God wanted them to be. And so I'll just read a few verses. Uh, the first one, Revelation 2.10. Where we read this, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Speaking to a church here. Don't fear those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. A Christian that is faithful, He's experiencing very difficult things, trying things in his life, and yet he's, he's persevering. He's making good decisions. He's not renouncing his Savior. All throughout these difficult things, he's growing in Christ, and, and, and the, the message is be faithful unto death. Don't just accept my sacrifice on your behalf. Be faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. Revelation 12, verse 11. And they... Speaking of God's people here, they overcame him. Speaking of the devil, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. So again, a picture of a people who is, until the day God calls them home, being faithful to him no matter what they face. No matter what it costs them, they're being faithful to him. One more verse, Revelation 18, verse 4. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, and, and, and the context of this verse is, we're, we're talking about Babylon, that great city Babylon that, that had all, the, all, all that you would want to fulfill the lust of your flesh. But out of that picture of, of, of sinful Babylon, John heard a voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partaker of her sin. So again, a picture of a people who said, that is the world. Yes, it's appealing. Yes, it, it, it has a pool. It, it, it looks fun and it looks enticing, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to renounce that. I'm going to come out of her and be separate. I'm going to follow Christ. So all of these verses are examples of men and women who persevered. They denied themselves. They forsook the world all for the cause of Christ. And if we're going to be a part of the elect, 
is going to take it daily, taking up our cross, denying our flesh, saying no to the things of this world, and saying yes to Christ. So then the last point, the security of the elect. If you have read through Revelation, you know that there is many scary scenes in Revelation. And you will also notice, and, and I don't know how you believe regarding when, where God's people will be when all these things are taking place, but I think it's pretty obvious that to some extent, God's people will face very difficult things. Some of these things that are happening, God's people are there, at least some of them. They're there in the midst of these scary things. But through it all, what you see is that God protects his people. Not necessarily from physical harm. Some of them have their heads cut off. Some of them are persecuted in other ways. Some of them have very difficult things happen to them. But he always makes a way, spiritually, that they are secure. All these things that are happening will never touch the soul of the redeemed if they stand true to God. God always makes a way for them to escape. And so if you go to chapter 6 and 7, in chapter 6, I'm not going to read these verses, but the seals are being opened. And things are happening that are, that are terrifying. But then you get to chapter 7. When, and also in chapter 6, there's, there's economic turmoil, there's persecution, there's death, there's fear, all of this going on. And then you get to verse 7, and I'll just pick out a few verses in this chapter. Verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 2. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, until we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. This protection of God on his people. Don't do this until my people have that stamp, have that seal on them, saying that they are mine. Then we get to verse 9. After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne, picture this, stood before the throne, and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. This this multitude of people who were faithful to God, now standing before God in white raiment. They're pure. They're holy before God. And then we get to verse 13, and we read this. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? Who are these people? Verse 14, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, because of, because of what they have done, because of the decisions they made, because of their faithfulness, therefore are they before the throne of God 
and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. What a beautiful picture. What an, what an encouraging picture of a group of people, not, not just a group, a multitude of people who persevered. A multitude of people who were faithful to God. And God protected them. They had the security that they were His. They were faithful. In spite of everything going on around them, they were faithful. No one is guaranteed escape from difficulties. No one is guaranteed escape from hardship, from turmoil, even from persecution and death. But those who have been redeemed from sin, those who have persevered, those who remain faithful, are promised rest, are promised eternity in the presence of Jesus. And what a beautiful picture in chapter 15, if you want to turn there, of those who overcame the overcomers. Revelation 15, verse 2. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. And you see this over and over. We could look at more passages in Revelation. In spite of the turmoil, if we are faithful to God, we are secure in Him. Now I want to think for a little bit about this thing of being an overcomer. The word overcometh is used, I believe it's eight times in Revelation. Most of the times are in reference to the churches, the, the, the letters to the churches in chapters 2 and 3. After every one of those letters... There's an overcomer verse. He that overcometh, will I do this for. When we think of someone who has overcome something, what does it automatically imply? It automatically implies that there was struggle. There was difficulty. They, they faced difficult things, and yet they, they pressed on. They persevered. They were faithful to God, and they overcame. They were on the other side of that hardship, and now there was reward. They overcame. An example or an, or an illustration, thinking about an overcomer. Several years ago, I found myself at a, maybe a rather unique place. I was standing at the finish line of the Richmond Marathon. Now, let me hasten to say that I am not a runner. And I don't intend to be a runner. I, I in the past, have tended to uh, maybe make fun of people that ran just for the sake of running. Um, to me, it, it, it hurts too bad. I'll, I'll run if, if I'm being chased or something like that. But I don't run just for the sake of running. But, well, since I have some family here, Uncle Mark was running in the Richmond Marathon. 
And those of you who know Uncle Mark, he has overcome difficulties in his life. He's faced some very difficult things. But he was running in this marathon. It just so happened I was going to be in Richmond that day, and so I went to the finish line to watch him cross. And I was so inspired as I stood at that finish line and watched these people cross the line. It was, I, th- I think there was, if I remember right, there was three races going on that day. There was a, oh, I don't know, a 100K and a, a half marathon and a, a full marathon. I believe there was a total of like 20,000 people in all three of these races. So it was a huge event. But I was watching the people cross the finish line of the marathon, 26.2 miles. And, and they, they'd come down the hill to that finish line, and there was, you could tell they were hurting so bad. There was just pain, and, and, and yet there was a look on their face of, of fulfillment and, and satisfaction. I did it. I overcame. And there was things in this race that, that, that was very difficult, high winds and, and cold weather and different things, and yet they overcame. It wasn't just enough that they had started. It wasn't just enough that they had started out that morning. No one really cared about that. What was exciting is that they were coming to the finish line. They had persevered. And probably the most touching moment as I stood there at that line, at some point I I noticed there was a commotion going up just a little up from me. And I looked up and here there was an older gentleman that had fallen down. Probably about... I don't know, maybe 150 feet from the finish line. And there he was on the pavement. And people started gathering around him and making sure that it was okay. And some medical people started coming. And and finally he stood to his feet. And everyone started cheering. And and he he started towards the finish line again. And those people around him trying to hold him up. But he was there pushing them away. He wanted to finish that race. He had started. He was going to finish. And they were push, he was pushing them away, and he crossed that line. And it just did something to me. What a beautiful picture of, of someone who, in spite of the adversity, they finished the race. I also know two young men, you may know this story as well, that they decided they were going to go on a little race. Not, not necessarily a race, but uh, they were going to go bike the Continental Divide Trail. And so they went down. Their, their parents drove them down to, I don't know, New Mexico or wherever it starts and, and dropped them off. And they had these high ambitions. They were going to bike this trail. And they started out, and, and the first 20 miles, it was pavement, and everything was good, and this was great, and they were having fun. But then the road turned to dirt. And... It was desert, and they had to carry a lot of weight. They had to carry their water, and and it was hard. And about day two, they said, this is enough. And they found a bike shop that would ship their bikes home. They bought plane tickets, and they headed home and arrived at home before their parents did. Not quite the picture of an overcomer. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul compares the Christian life to a race. And in the Christian life, we run and we run and we run. And Paul says, do it to obtain a crown. In that marathon, the prize for completing that marathon was a medal and a blanket. 
But Paul says, do it to obtain an incorruptible crown, a crown that fadeth not away. And so when you look in Revelation and you see the promises to the overcomer, this prize that we receive if we overcome, here's what we get. To the overcomer, Jesus says, I will give to eat of the tree of life. They shall not be hurt by the second death. I'll give to eat of the hidden manna. I'll give him a white stone. I'll give him power over the nations. I'll give him the morning star. He shall be clothed in white raiment. I will not blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. I will write upon him the name of my God. I will grant him to sit with me in my throne. And to the overcomer, he shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he shall be my son. That's the incorruptible crown that the overcomer will receive at the end of this race. That's a race that I want to be in. That's a race that I want to complete. I want to get to that finish line. I really don't care about a medal and a blanket, but I want that prize. And if we are faithful to Christ, we can be confident that we will receive that incorruptible crown that fadeth not away. I'm glad in this uncertain world that I can be assured that I'm a child of God. I can be a part of the family of God. I can be a part of a kingdom that will stand forever. I am secure in Christ. Yes, the world we're in is falling apart. Our country seems to be selling out to the devil. There are unjust wars that are raging. They're not fair. Inflation seems to be out of control. Churches, even the church, the the bride of Christ seems to be splitting and dividing and splintering at alarming rates. It's terrifying. But it's okay. I'm a child of God. I'm secure in Christ. I'm a part of a kingdom that will never fail. And my question for you this morning is what about you? What side are you on? What kingdom are you a part of? Scripture makes it very clear that there are two ways, only two ways, the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. And these two ways are completely different. It's light and darkness. The broad way versus the narrow way. Flesh versus spirit. And Revelation tells us the reward of each. I've already told you the reward of the righteous, but the reward of the wicked is they shall have their part in the lake of in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's the reward of the wicked. But the reward of the righteous, he that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. That's the reward of the righteous. And so for all of you here who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, are you rejoicing that you can be a child of God? We have a Father who loves us. We have a Father who has promised never to leave us or forsake us. We have a Father that will always be faithful to us. Are we being faithful to Him? Press on, persevere, be faithful. We will win. And if there is anyone here who knows that you are not a part of the kingdom of God, then again, this message is an invitation to follow Christ. Be a part of a kingdom that will never fail. 
if we follow the way that our flesh desires, we will always choose the way of darkness, the way of the devil, the way of the world. This way is, is the default path. We're not going to be on, on God's path just by default. We will always be, by default, on the way of the world. This way is easy. This way is fun. This way is exciting. But this way is going to be destroyed. And Revelation 18 speaks of the city of Babylon, a city of luxury, a city of pleasure. They were living it up. They were having a good time. They seem to be in complete control of their lives. But you continue to read, and all of a sudden, it says in one hour, it was done. One hour. They were having so much fun, but in one hour, it was done. It was over. And from that moment on, it was only sorrow and regret. Yes, much of what this world has to offer does look exciting. And yet, it's going to vanish away. It's going to be destroyed. And so I invite you today to be a part of a kingdom that will last for eternity. Every day that you live, every day that you crawl out of bed is another act of mercy on the part of God, giving you one more chance to turn to Him, giving you one more chance to accept the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf and be a part of the family of God. And so Jesus in Revelation 3 extended an invitation to the, to the people in Laodicea, a church that was turning away from Him, a church that was just lukewarm. They, they really weren't excited about God. And Jesus had mercy on them and gave them an invitation. And I believe that this invitation is for us as well today. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and I will sup with him and he with me. So that's the invitation for all of us today. And I trust that all of us rejoice in the fact that we can be a part of the family of God and we can be secure in that reality. Shall we have us all?